Welcome to Sports Performance Radio, the science of athletic excellence. Welcome everyone to Sports Performance Radio Extra. I am your host, B. Chavez, and as always, I'd very much like to thank each and every one of you for joining me here again at the uh, mid-month mark. And uh, again, this is the SPR, Sports Performance Radio Extra, and the extra is just kind of uh, just that, the extra stuff. It's the stuff that doesn't really fit in with the uh, monthly show, doesn't really tie in with any guest or anything, so I'm had decided to put together these extra shows and uh, just kind of cover some current events and and that sort of thing. So uh, we will, of course, be back the first of the month with a new guest, and there will be more on that a little later in this show. So here we are, mid-August. Uh, definitely the talk of the town is the Rio Olympics. Don't forget to sign up for the SPR and Evil Genius Sports Performance Newsletter via the Team Evil GSP website. So, the 2016 Rio Summer Games. Um, my intention is to do a show, or at least an SPR Extra, specifically related to the Olympics. So, what I'm going to cover is just kind of the current, current events in relation to that. The uh, the Olympics are on NBC, they're on television, they're on the radio. Nothing... Uh, Nothing you can look at or see doesn't have something to do with the Olympics this time of year. So I thought it uh, relevant to just touch on a few things. Um, and again, all of these things, purely my opinion, but I will illustrate where I can, where those opinions come from and why I hold them. My first just kind of blatant bargain basement opinion, probably the worst Olympics ever, if not the worst in the last uh, probably 80 years, 100 years. Um, that's just kind of an opinion based on all the other information that I've gathered. But there you have it. I just really think these are particularly poor games for a host of reasons. Um, kind of broke my reasons down into two different categories. Uh, category A is Rio, Brazil, the nation, the location of the Summer Games. Um, I do not know why the IOC, the Olympic Committee, and all of the really, quote, clever people involved in the Olympic organiz organizing, uh, I don't know why they would choose to hold the Games in a bullshit, third-world corrupt country, um, but they did, and they're paying for it. Um, Brazil has a broken populace, a broken uh, citizenship. They have a broken economy. Uh, there's really, they're literally, while these games are going on, their president is on trial. It's a shit, ruined, just damaged country. Uh, I don't, I don't say that to disparage them. I just simply that that is the fact. They're uh, in great turmoil and. Uh, Probably some sort of uh, tipping point toward something. They're going to have to do something or just fail to exist. Um, I'm far from a political scientist, but I am capable of reading the news. And uh, that's just the fact. It's just a broken country. It was probably not a second world country before all of this took place. And uh, as they prepared for the Olympics, they've been sliding further and further into the abyss. And um, just not a really productive environment to hold 
uh, multinational, multicultural uh, kind of feel-good sporting events. So that's kind of relevant. Um, specifically, I have uh, a couple of colleagues that are on the ground in Brazil right now. They are there at the Olympic Games, uh, spectating, coaching, uh, supporting various athletes. And uh, then I spoke with them briefly, each independently, and both of them told me that probably the biggest problem there is the crowds, the Brazilian people are just um, very hostile. They're not uh, very receptive to the tourism, to the Olympic Games, to the people that blatantly have money and means, and they do not. And uh, the populace is just very hostile. And secondly, and, and probably very specifically related to that problem, um, a very racially uh, divided attitude in the Olympics, even in the organizers, much less, but also the public and, and just generally Brazil in general. So it's not uh, apparently a very uh, comfortable environment. And lastly, um, and again, going back to the just Brazil is a broken, politically broken country right now. Um, the, the, the city of Rio is just very, very unsafe. And, the, and, and again, very specifically related to that, the populace is very unfriendly. And that makes doing anything outside of the Olympic pavilion, very, very uh, impractical, dangerous, problematic, on and on and on. Uh, I'm kind of putting a good spin on it, boys and girls. Some of the stories I was told specifically, uh, real bad. Uh, I'm sure once these games are over, you'll get all sorts of, uh, you know, insider stories and books written and articles and things and uh, exposés. But, um, you know, just to give you a little early heads up, it's bad. So, that was just a couple of points that I would uh, specifically lay at the feet of Brazil and Rio. Um, kind of maybe a little less, I don't want to say factual, but a little less provable and supportable, um, I would lay at the feet of the IOC. And that is, um, I'm getting a lot of reports. And plus, I've been watching the Olympics at the highest rate I can. Uh, kind of hard to consume. I'm not a big fan of how NBC's showing them, but that's a separate subject that I will probably tackle during the, you know, Olympic wrap-up if, if I do such a thing. But uh, to blame the IOC very specifically, I've seen and gotten reports about some very questionable judging. Very sketchy. Seemingly, well, no other way to word it, seemingly politically motivated uh, judging, refereeing, scoring, that sort of thing. Um, I personally watched a fair portion of the women's uh, lower weight class Olympic lifting, and I was so very confused, I called a good friend of mine who is truly an expert in the field. I, I am not. I, I appreciate, I understand, like, and appreciate Olympic lifting, but I am far from a competitive expert. And so rather than just uh, assuming I knew what I was talking about, I called someone who is, in fact, a true expert, uh, someone who's actually competed at the Olympic Games. I will not bring up their name. Uh, and I, I was prepared to ask this person if I was seeing preferential judging and, and, and uh, bias. And before I even articulated the question, he told me, my God, they're judging by nation. He said, this is a political fiasco. Uh, very specifically, China, uh, Kazakhstan, and a couple of other countries. Um, we had identified lifters that just had lifts turned down for no other reason, seemingly except where they were from and their association with 
people that had had doping failure problems. Uh, not that these athletes did, but they were very tightly associated with, and it seemed as if they were being punished uh, kind of de facto, kind of public punished since those other athletes weren't available to punish. Uh, very, very sketchy. I'm sure you'll hear complaining and exposeing and, and, and whatnot about this later. Uh, it seemed incredibly blatant to me and to some of the, as again, some of the quote experts that I referenced. So I, I'm pretty sure that it was a real thing. And, and then secondly, and this is purely a problem of the IOC, the judging, you might even be able to say, well, judges are independent people. They have their own mindsets, their own attitudes, they, their own prejudice. Maybe the IOC wasn't to blame, but it was more of a personal, socialistic-minded problem, maybe. And, and I accept that maybe. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I can't really make those sorts of arguments. Uh, I can state that I saw it and it was there. As far as the specific motivation or direction in which it came from, okay, probably a debatable subject. What's not a debatable subject is the preferential doping times. I know that sounds like a bizarre thing, but, um, you know, the Olympic Games, they're drug tested. We know that. We hear about it endlessly. And there's all these complicated rules in association with the drug test, what the drugs are, you know, what drugs athletes are and are not allowed to take in what quantities, all sorts of things that would make a show five times over on its own. However, what most people don't realize and what the media doesn't cover, because it's a really boring Side note is there's an awful lot of rules associated with how the IOC is supposed to administer that test. When, where, to who, in what order. Um, there's some very inspecific but yet blatant language that says, in essence, the IOC is, it's incumbent upon the IOC to not test an athlete in a time or a way in which it might impact their ability to perform, meaning it has to be a certain distance from the event and, and certain events probably further than others. You don't want to draw blood from an elbow or a wrist and then have someone you know, play tennis 20 minutes later, that sort of thing. So it's incumbent upon the IOC to perform the test in a manner in which is non-intrusive to the athlete's performance. Okay. Kind of obvious, but it needs to be like all legally, legal ease nonsense. Um, needs to be written down. Needs to be available and apparent to all. And I have gotten a number, a number, a very large number of complaints, of, of sightings. Complaints probably the wrong word. Sightings of this really not being carried out. Literally, athletes in the weightlifting realm being drug tested during their warm-ups, which is ridiculously inappropriate. Obviously, they need to be tested. They agreed to that. It's, you know, as, despite the fact that I think it's silly as hell, it's what everyone agreed to, and it's it's on. It's obvious that that's going to happen. But um, literally, to break someone's groove in the warm-up room, to pull them aside to perform a drug test, which is not just a simple, like, hold up your hand and I swear. We're talking about urine and blood, and they also do vitals while they're doing that. And it's a fairly complicated there's you know a dozen forms that have to be signed and countersigned and and witnessed and it, it's an event folks um the olympic drug test as an event probably takes minimum 30 minutes per athlete uh it's as i said it's a fairly entailed 
adventure um, to literally interrupt someone as they're warming up for the Olympic Games, for something they potentially trained their entire life to attend, that's ridiculously inappropriate. That's really bad. And even if it's just because of problems with the amenities at in Brazil, even if it's just problems with low staffing, and it's not some sort of actual bias or intention, even if it's just happenstance, it's still wrong. Wrong on a very deep, fundamental level. Um, which brings me back to my original premise. These are most likely the worst Olympic Games ever. Nazi Germany probably put on better, less bias, less invasive, less offensive Olympic Games. This is shameful. So, there it is. My quick capsule thoughts on 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, and uh, a couple of the reasons why I think that. So, I do still strongly suggest all of you out there watch and consume as much of the Olympics as you can. It is, despite how shitty the games are going and how shitty the IOC as a rule is, and biased and prejudiced and just generally shitty. Um, it still is our lands, our world's greatest athletes. It is representatively the best athletes from the globe. And uh, they, as athletes, still deserve our respect and our adulation. And uh, we should watch for that reason. I don't know how to weed through the political nonsense and get our actual attention and adoration and respect to the athletes. Uh, unfortunately, has to filter through the IOC and the sponsors and all sorts of other nonsensical bodies that don't need to be in the middle. But uh, even so, it's still better that we pay attention than not. But uh, the Olympics themselves, bit of a hoax, bit of a joke. But the athletes, as I said, the best our world has to offer and well-deserving of our attention. This is a Sports Performance Radio Extra. And as a side note in reference to the Rio Olympics, um, something that I often challenge my listeners and my readers and anyone who's basically anyone who's willing to listen to me, something that I challenge people to do on many fronts and many uh, different topics is do a little research. I don't have the time or ability or expertise to cover every single aspect of every single thing. So... To some degree, some of this is incumbent upon you, the listener, to do a little research. And I strongly suggest, if you have any interest in doing that, a great place to start is the Olympic Committee, the IOC. Take a look at those folks. Look at their charter. Look at where they're located. Look at the vast sums of money that they handle and how they allocate it. Wonder, perhaps, why the athletes are pushed into poverty when these assholes are making high, mid to high six-figure salaries for doing no little to nothing, and certainly nothing for the athletes. I don't have time or the interest to, to follow this through to its furthest degrees, but you can find all sorts of reports, newspapers, magazines, Time uh, magazine just did a piece on it not long ago, Sports Illustrated did a piece not long ago, um, the UFC fighter R Ronda Rousey did a piece uh, through the uh, through the UFC, um, relaying these stories of training for the Olympic Games and literally being in such poverty that they needed to sleep in their automobile. They slept in their car in the parking lot of the uh, of the billion dollar IOC facility. 
That's ridiculous, folks. We have athletes living like hobos, preparing to represent the, quote, greatest country on earth. It's ridiculous. Uh, and because these people are grateful to have a forum to compete, and they're grateful for usually for their success, uh, you don't hear a lot out of them. And the only ones you do hear this sort of thing from are kind of the athletes that failed, the athletes that failed to excel, to exceed, to medal, that sort of thing. And so when they say something, it's oftentimes viewed as kind of just sour apples. It's bitter. Oh, they're angry because they didn't win. They're angry because they're, you know, not a household name. And you don't hear this sort of thing from Ronda Rousey. You don't hear this sort of thing from Usain Bolt. You don't hear this sort of thing from X, Y, or Z. Well, it's in, because of the money those people happen to be able to make. It's in their interest not to. But it doesn't mean there's still not a story out there. So, again, I challenge you as listeners and readers and as thinkers to take a few minutes here and there and do a little research and form your own opinion on the value and the efficacy and the ethics of the IOC and, and any other body. I mean, I personally am not a fan of football, but you could you could follow that same strategy and look into the NFL or the professional soccer leagues or any any agency you like. Uh, the subject of the, my mindset at the moment happens to be the IOC because of the Rio Olympics. But uh, I, I challenge you to just take a little time and look under the hood. Don't just watch the game and be entertained. Don't just enjoy the athletes. But Take a moment and look at their circumstances. It's up to you to be a decent human being and a decent consumer and use your ethics as a filter rather than what the media tells you. Very, very important, important thing. You don't have to agree with me. Matter of fact, most people don't, and I'm fine with that. But don't disagree with me based on an opinion that has been spoon-fed to you by some media outlet. Disagree with me because of an opinion you formed by actually looking for some information. That's important, folks. Read, listen, think. Rules to live by. So, just a little food for thought. I hope you take the time to do that. Form your own opinion. And uh, I welcome any feedback. If you, the listener, you, the reader, anyone out there, has some thoughts on a subject, by all means, uh, Contact me either through the podcast website or team eviljsp.com. Uh, any really good good insights or uh, comments, I probably will even bring to the radio if it's all right with you. So uh, anyway, just a little thought. Definitely take the moment for a little thought. Evil Genius Sports Performance is now accepting a limited number of new clients. If you would like a consult, please email via the Team Evil GSP website. Welcome back. Once again, I'm your host, B. Chavez, and this is the portion of the show where, historically, I have been playing pre-recorded pieces uh, in relation to training, some sort of uh, a, a, an excerpt on training technique, volume, intensity, language of training, those sorts of things. Um, for this particular show, I thought you I thought I would bring to you a an original piece rather than a pre-recorded piece, partly because um, I've the, kind of posted everything that I intended to, and uh, also partly because I'm getting better at this entire radio production thing monstrosity, and uh, I, I have my, myself a little better organized, and I have more time. So I thought I would put together an original piece, and it just so happens that the particular concept that I want to talk to you about 
has come up a couple of times in my work life, in my training of other athletes. I've had opportunity to address this particular subject live and in person, so it's fresh in my mind. And what I wanted to talk to you about is time management. Time management um, is obviously a gigantic kind of catch-all subject, uh, and it has many, many applications in the world of sports performance, strength training, that sort of thing. Um, what I specifically want to address here is time management in the gym, actually on the floor, in the weight room, live and in action, and I will explain. Uh, but before I do, I want to roll back and kind of explain why this topic is so relevant and for some reason so ignored. You know, if you go back all the way to the, the, you know, the 1980s, it was well understood that to be a successful athlete, you needed to weight train. You needed to lift weights to get stronger. That would make you faster, more effective on a playing field. And not terribly long after that, it became apparent that, well, you, you probably ought to stretch as well. So, you know, you have people spending four to eight hours in the weight room, and now you're laying another hour of, you know, mechanical stretching on top of it. And then, you know, the late 80s, well, you probably ought to do cardiovascular work as well. So now, now you're layering on another few hours a week of cardiovascular work. And then, obviously, injuries come up, because if you're training hard, that's just simply unavoidable. And now you have kind of rehab, prehab related to specific injuries. And then now we get into the late 20th century, early 21st century, and kind of the CrossFit thing took off, and people were wildly overtraining and all that, and I won't address that, but what became then the norm is these gigantic you know, warm-ups and prehab sessions, and before you know it, you have people spending more time on their athletic prowess than they do on their 40-hour-a-week job, their vocation. You know, and if you're a grown adult and you have, even if you're a, a truly a dedicated athlete, you know, you have a job, you probably have a spouse, you have children, you have a home, you have home maintenance, you have an automobile, you don't have an additional 40 hours a week to address all this stuff. So what people wind up doing is they, they cherry pick and they just do what they think they need to or what the, the minimum. And this is why and where time management can become a real, real benefit. And the kind of what spurred this entire train of thought and this, this entire line of reasoning is I spend an awful lot of time in the weight room, not necessarily with my training, although I do, but I spend a lot of time in the weight room because I'm helping other people, training other people, coaching, observing, uh, just generally it's a good place for me to spend my time. With that, I see an awful lot of workouts. And just a silly thought crossed my mind, and that is, even among the truly committed athletes, most workouts are far more rest than work. And that led me to the thought of, well, perhaps we could put something in that rest that makes it a little less ineffective, a little, uh, you, you know, uh, give it some use. And so I started working up strategies, and, and, and none of this is groundbreaking, and none of this is anything that you probably couldn't have or shouldn't have thought of or possibly even didn't think of already. But I just want to bring it to you in kind of a semi-coherent, at least as coherent as I can be, format. And uh, I'll give you a great example. My squat workout. Because I'm a relatively big squatter, I, I can squat up into the 700s, um, my warm-ups take a little while. They, they just do. It's not that I'm sandbagging. It's not that I'm dragging my feet. It's just to get from an empty bar to 600 pounds, 
takes a number of sets, and they're sub-maximal. They don't require a vast amount of effort, but they need to be done. Um, in my particular case, I do triples, uh, empty bar. I do a 25, a 45, a 45 and a 25, you know, and so on. So I go plate, half plate, plate, half plate, all the way up to whatever my target weight is for the day. So, you know, doing triples with 275, 315, 365, they need to be done. I need to put concentration and what have you into them, but they're very non-effort intensive. And so it occurred to me that I have two, three, sometimes five minutes between sets where I'm really not doing anything, nor do I really need any grand recovery. And so I started doing my rotator cuff work that I normally, you know, would put at the end of a workout or in its own special little training session somewhere. And I, I just recently started saying, you know what, from empty bar to 405, I'm going to do rotator cuff work in between each set. A 20-pound dumbbell doing internal and external rotations is not taxing. It doesn't take me, it doesn't take away from my you know, cardiovascular fitness, my recovery energy, any of that. It's simply time that I was typically shooting shit, standing around, or watching someone else squat. I'm now doing rotator cuff work. Yes, it can make the workout a little less, little rabbit ears, fun, a little less um, social. Absolutely. But does it allow me to knock off an entire 15 or 20-minute block of work that I would do some other time? Absolutely. And I've found that this sort of time management. Now, obviously, if you're training, you know, for instance, if I was coming into the gym to train up to a max single or a ba I don't really do max singles, but let's say a max triple, I probably would not do this simply because the focus has now shifted. This is not a training session, but it's a targeted performance session. That gives me a slight change of mindset. But most workouts are just that. They're work. Most workouts are submaximal or mostly submaximal. The sets are not that draining. They're simply time intensive. And my suggestion is to begin to find strategies. Now, and don't use mine, use your own, but come up with strategies to utilize that time as best possible. So I now do rotator cuff work during my squat warm-ups and my bench press warm-ups. I find that doing them during the bench press warm-ups is exceptionally effective because the weak link in my entire bench press is my shoulder strength and stabilization, and doing rotator cuffs really has, initially it was a problem, it slowed me down and, and maybe even took a little edge off my weights, but um, by the third workout I, I was actually seeing a benefit, plus I was utilizing my time better, and so now I took the two rotator cuff workouts that I do, and I inserted them into workouts that I'm already doing, and it knocked literally, not exaggerating, but literally 30 minutes of total training time off of my week. And I just find this kind of thinking really, really effective. And you can start to put it in all sorts of places. Um, a good friend of mine, I personally don't do this, but a good friend of mine is a martial artist, and we've now inserted his hip and hamstring stretches into his squat and deadlift sessions, which of which he does three per week. He squats three times per week, deadlifts two times per week. So that's three total training sessions. And in between every set, because his goal is to get stronger, to get bigger, but his goal really isn't maximal strength. It's to accomplish these training sessions. So the minor decrement of doing the stretching is really counterbalanced by the fact that the three 90-minute training sessions that he was doing are now three 90-minute 
training sessions and flexibility sessions, he's actually doing more total flexibility work than he was before. He's as strong, more flexible, and has less time spent in his total training package. Because that stretching, you know, that he's now doing 90 minutes three times a week, he was doing 60 minutes three times a week as an entirely separate session. So he was weight training, he was doing his martial arts work, and then he was doing his stretching at home at night. Now he's even sneaking in some stretching at home at night in front of the television just because it's so ingrained in him that, that that's what he does, and that's how we athletes tend to operate, you know, kind of an OCD mentality. But nonetheless, now he's getting more work in the same or less time that's how you really develop a winning sports performance strategy. That's time management in the evil genius sports performance mentality. And that's kind of what I'm trying to bring to you here is to start thinking that a workout should be work-based. Start thinking of ways to get work done. Start thinking, you know, you're not, you're not union. You're not getting paid by the hour. Not, you know, the, start thinking about ways to get more work done in the same amount of time so that you can have a life outside of athletics, which will improve your mindset, which will ultimately improve your sports performance. So this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. This can be applied to so many places. You know, it can be applied to nutrition where, you know, don't, don't make a meal for today. Make three meals. You know, that sort of thing. There's a lot of thoughts here that we can bring down a road and, and you know, and, and continue. And, and also a lot of synergy, you know, where if you're doing flexibility work, you know, do it circa your cardiovascular work or circa your weight training because you're already warm and it saves warm-up time. And there's a lot of thinking and, and a lot of strategizing you could do. But my my really underlying thought here is to bring you the concept that if for some reason you've not thought of, Start thinking about it. Start thinking about ways to use your time as effectively as possible to get the same or more work done in the same amount of time, which will give you much better quality of life, much better quality of athletics, and uh, probably just, just make everything better. So, and, and that's really what I'm trying to do with this podcast, with my training, with, with everything that I do is to just sow seeds that you, the listener, can take and do your own thing and make everything better for you and everyone else. So there's a little little beginnings of thoughts on time management as it relates to weight training in the weight room. Um, and, and, and by no means have I mastered this subject. There's a, a million ways that this can be twisted and turned and applied and, and, and tweaked. And, uh, and, I, and I strongly suggest that you think about it. And uh, if, if you're so inclined and if you're so interested, um, you know, sh shoot us a message explaining what you do. Uh, any good ideas that you sign off on, I'd be happy to bring to the radio, bring to other people, and, and make public, you know, give you a little notoriety and, and, and help spread the word. Because, you know, no one person's going to think of everything. Everybody's particular conditions and strategies and goals are different. So it would be interesting to see what other people are doing. Just as I brought you what I'm doing, it may be completely inappropriate for you, but a similar or different or perhaps even radically different strategy is what you need. So again, communication makes everything better. The more you can talk to people, the more you can hear what other people are doing, um, you know, the, the better. And we live in this incredible media social media, you know, communicable world. So I strongly recommend, if it's possible, 
do so. So there you are, a couple thoughts on time management, and that's where I'm going to leave that. We'll almost certainly come back to that subject again and probably again and again. But for the moment, there you are, some thoughts on time management in weight training. Hey, shut up and listen. And the last point that I would like to cover is something that I've threatened and, and I don't at least two occasions falsely threatened to be able to have my act together to such a degree that I could announce now the guest for the upcoming sports performance radio show on the first of the month. And in this case, I actually can, and I'm very, very proud of who I've got and uh, the, the slot that they fit in. The next show will be the 13th episode of sports performance radio, marking the first show of the second year so it's in and of itself kind of a success and kind of a, a a benchmark for me. And I am very, very pleased to announce that the guest for that show will be Dr. Mike Isratel, one of the world's leading exercise scientists right now. Um, he's all over the Internet, all over YouTube, uh, has some really great videos, great views. Uh, I love hearing him speak, not just because, for the most part, the man agrees with the sort of styles and themes that I espouse, he, and he does, but I just, I really love the way he articulates things. He does a really, really exceptional job of explaining these things, and Dr. Mike Isratel has agreed to do 45 minutes to an hour on the subject of sports performance-based hypertrophy. Hypertrophy for an athletic endeavor. So it's going to be very exciting. Uh, I've not yet recorded with him, although I do have it scheduled. So I can't really tell you the meat and potatoes of what he says, but I know that it's going to be exceptional. I know that it's going to be very science-based, and I know that it's going to fit the sports performance radio theme well. So I strongly recommend that if you are a serial listener of this show, do not miss the upcoming sports performance radio. It does mark the first show of the second full year, and it will have an extraordinary guest in Dr. Mike Isratel. So that is all I have for you on this particular episode of Sports Performance Radio Extra. So until the first of the month, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Sports Performance Radio.